Uh, God bless you. If you got your Bible, and hope you do, open to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 3 through 7. And if you want to sneak over there to chapter 4 and put your finger in it, I'm going to read a couple of verses from there too, and then we'll, we'll pray this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. So blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And those of you who are born again this morning, say amen. 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 Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And obviously he's talking about our reward of heaven. That reward that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, nobody can take it from us. Something that every Christian looks forward to is that moment where we make it to heaven. Every Christian this morning, looking forward to that day, say amen. Amen. So that's what we have to look forward to. But in the meantime, this is what he says in verse six. In this you rejoice, in other words, in knowing that we have this great reward of heaven. Though now for a little while in this life, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. If you've ever been grieved by a various trial, say amen. amen. If you're in the middle of a various, various trial right now, grievous trial, say amen. amen. Probably all of us are in some form or fashion. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, if you go over into chapter four, Verses 12 and 13, Peter writes this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Pray with me this morning. Father, today we come before you this morning thanking you for your presence that's already here today. You're always faithful. God, to show up and to touch hearts and lives when we come together hungry before you. And this morning, we look to your word. I pray for the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to break every chain today. We've sung about your victory. We've sung about your power. And today, Lord, as we speak of it in your word, I just pray that it would have its perfect work, that it would hit its mark, that each one of us, God, might be uh, strengthened in our faith to trust in you, God, and to understand, God, that everything we go through, you have a purpose for, and that you have a promise for those of us that go through the various trials, God, that you will bring us through. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. I want to talk about adversity this morning. In fact, if I was going to title this message, um, I would title it, and I borrowed this term. This is a term that I've I've heard several years ago, but it always kind of stuck with me, and I thought about it as I was Um, studying this message, and I would title it this, Adversity University, all right? So I want to talk about adversity. This is something that's been on my mind all week long. Adversity is is basically opposition, okay? It's, It's the struggles. Sometimes we call them roadblocks. I mean, it's the various trials and the things, the hardships that we go through in life. Adversity. The opposite of adversity would be easy, okay? When things are easy, there's no adversity. When things are hard, there's adversity. There's a, there's a opposition that comes against us that makes things hard. We don't like that as human beings. You know what a university is. A university is a place of learning, someplace you go to learn what you didn't know. And adversity literally is God's university. It's those hardships, those oppositions, the problems, the trials that we go through in life. Nobody is exempt, 
okay? The strongest of Christians with the greatest unwavering faith are not exempt from adversity and hardships and trials and struggles and all of those types of things. We all go through them. Now, we as human beings, when we're going through them, all we can think about is what? Get me out of it, right? Get me out of it as soon as possible. But Peter, in these letters, he, in this letter, he's writing, uh, he's writing to Christians who are downhearted, Christians who are going through very difficult times and very difficult situations. And he's writing this letter to give them encouragement in the midst of all of their struggles, in the midst of all of their adversity. You gotta remember, in, in th that day and time, it wasn't popular at all to be a Christian. I mean, it was, they faced adversity everywhere they went. They do what God wants them to do, they're liable to be thrown in prison. They do what God wants them to do, they're liable to be beaten, okay? So it, they, they had the same question in their mind that you and I, when we go through hardships and trials and we face adversity, they ask the same question that you and I ask today, and what is that question? Why is this happening to me? Have you, have you ever asked that question? If you say no, you're lying. I believe you're lying. We all ask, why is this happening to me? And that's what Peter ultimately is saying to these discouraged Christians. He's saying, look, when, when these things, when adversity hits you and trials come, don't think there is some strange thing happening to you. Don't, don't ask yourself, why is this happening to me? Like, like it's some strange thing that no other human being has ever gone through. Now, here's the thing. We know as a Christian, if I was to ask you to raise your hand, if you know this, everybody would. We know that when we become a Christian, we become a believer in Jesus Christ, and we can sing songs like victory in Jesus and break every chain. We know that God is faithful to his people, and we also know that just because we're a Christian, that doesn't mean that we're given an easy pass through life. We know that. And I would, if I said to you, do you, you, know, do you know that just because you're Christian doesn't mean that life's going to be easy? You would say, yes, I know that. But yet, when we get to the point of facing adversity, we always ask, why is this happening to me? I do it, you do it. But what we find is that through the adversity, through the challenge, through the opposition, is where God is teaching us something. And if we could look for just a moment and, and, and stop, and I'm, I'm gonna just be blunt enough to say feeling sorry for ourselves because that's what I do. I feel sorry for myself. And we want everybody else to feel sorry for ourselves. And sometimes it's legit. I mean, we go through some, I'm not downgrading the trials and the adversity that we go through, very difficult things. But if we can realize that through that, God is trying to teach us something. I think about Allison back there. And that was a great adversity, a great challenge that they went through. But they learned something through all that. We all did. We learned that God's still faithful when people trust him. Amen? Saw her walking around the football game. She just, no CC to be found. I mean, for a while, you know, CC's got to be close. The other day, she just running around rampant, no CC. Because God's done something in her. Amen? So we're learning something in this university of adversity and what we're about to learn through all of that is more valuable than money. That's what, that's what Peter said. When, when something like this is happening and you're facing adversity, don't, don't think some strange thing is happening, happening to you. He said, but realize that it is a trying of your faith that is more precious than gold and silver. More, it's more precious, more valuable than gold that perishes, right? So again, by our human standards, we can't think of anything that would be better than having a lot of money. If I had a lot of money, I wouldn't have any worries. But what Peter is saying here, money perishes. Money goes away. How many of you say amen to that? 
You ever, you ever look at your, you ever look at your W-2 at the end of the year and say, where did it all go? <laughs> I mean, seriously, where did it all go? Money perishes, money disappears. The IRS takes it, your kids take it. I had, I can start the day with cash in my pocket and end it and not spend a thing and end the day with no money in my pocket. Kids, right? Money perishes, it comes, it goes. But what Peter's saying is there's something in the life of a Christian that's more valuable than money. And it is the lessons we learn through adversity. They're hard, very, very hard. And they don't seem fair, okay? I mean, let's be honest, sometimes it just doesn't seem fair. And the Israelites, dif- different adversity they went through, they'd go to God and they would basically accuse God, say, this isn't fair. And, and God would say, it is fair. Because I know that on the other side of this, you're gonna have char- a character. You're gonna have a nature. You're gonna have... Um, a knowledge, an understanding, a wisdom that will carry you through life through the greater of trials. So we as human beings prefer easy, amen? We'll take easy any day of the week over hard. That's just the way we are as human beings. But they have a, they have a name for things that are easy. It's called bait, right? Let that soak in for just a second. A fish comes along, what are they looking for? They're looking for the easy meal, Oh, look, there's a, little, there's a little minnow. He's sickly. He can't get away. He's spinning in circles. He doesn't know where he's going. And so they look for the easy meal, and they eat it, but only to find that there's a hook attached, right? And sometimes the easy road in life is just simply not the best road. I think sometimes that the enemy, I almost, I almost get to worrying sometimes when things are going too easy, amen? I, I get to looking for the hook because I know how God really works, and God really works and shows himself to me more so through the adversity than he does through the easy road. Anybody can do easy, okay? Anybody can do easy. Anybody can go through life, and anybody can glorify God when everything is easy. But you know what, you know what happens? Most of the time, we don't glorify God when everything is easy. When everything in our life is easy, everything is going good, honestly, that's the time when we kind of start ignoring God. Isn't that true? That's horrible. I mean, you would think that the better things are in our life, the more we would honor and glorify God. But we as humans, we just don't operate that way. We, we get comfortable with the easy and we just have a tendency to take God for granted. It's when the adversity comes, where do we automatically start looking? To God. God say, well, they're going down easier. They're just about to take the bait. I better give them a little bit of adversity. Anybody can do easy. But God's people aren't just anybody, Okay. God's people aren't just anybody. I'm not saying that we're more perfect than the rest of the world, but we've got a God on our side that can do great and mighty things in us and through us. God's people are not just anybody. Yes, we want the easy. Think about about this. There's a a man that we read about in the Old Testament. His name is Naaman. Naaman was a, he was a warrior. I mean, this guy was a stud. He he could fight and he was a, a man of valor, the Bible says. Strong, tough, but he had leprosy. Leprosy was a disease you didn't want to have back in that day. Well, it's not, a lepr- it's not a disease I guess you'd want to have today. But we don't see it much today. There's cures for it. But back in, in Bible days when somebody had leprosy, there really wasn't any cure for it, okay? And, and your, your skin would start turning white, and your, literally your flesh would start to rot. Pieces, you know, fingers and pieces of your body would start to fall off. Uh, as a Jewish leper, they, they couldn't even be around society. They were, they were cast out to the outskirts of, of town, but... But Naaman was this mighty man of valor, but he had, he had leprosy. And so, obviously, 
he's faced with an adversity he's never had to be faced with before. If it was, if it was a, a warrior, he knew how to fight that, but he didn't know how to fight leprosy. And so he hears about the God of Israel. He hears about a prophet from Israel, his name was Elijah, that had access to a God that was real. Okay, Naaman, he wasn't a, he wasn't a Jewish person. All he knew was false gods, idols, but he heard that there was a real God in Israel. So he sends for Elijah, the prophet, and the Bible says that he pulls up to, I, I picture it something like this. Okay, I got a vivid imagination, but I, I picture it something like this. You know, uh, Naaman pulls up to Elijah's house and he's in his, he's in his fancy chariot, you know, and, and the, the, the wheels are spinning and it's, you know, he's got the, you know, the speakers, the subwoofers are going, you know, and he pulls up and, and he's got his armor on and he's pulling up as if to say, somebody has just pulled into your driveway. I mean, he's, he's wanting that attention. And, and so he goes uh, to, to Elijah and says, I heard that you can get me healed from, from your God. I'm paraphrasing this a little bit. Elijah doesn't even come out to talk to him. Elijah sends a servant. Elijah won't even look at the guy. He, says, he said, go down to the Jordan River and dip seven times and you'll be clean. That was the instructions to, to Naaman. Go down to the Jordan River, dip seven times, and your leprosy will be gone. And the Bible says that Naaman got angry. He was mad at Elijah for suggesting that he do that. And this is, this is if you read the story, this is literally what, Elijah, or what Naaman said. He said, I thought you would come out here, wave your hand over me, and the leprosy would be gone. What was Naaman looking for? The easy road. He wanted it to be easy. He didn't want it to require anything of him. And that's how we operate a lot of times in our walk with God. We want God to do everything. We don't, want, we don't want this walk of faith to require anything of us. And as soon as it requires something of me, I might pout. As soon as it gets hard, I'm starting to wonder why God is allowing this to me. Why is this happening to me? We want, remember the commercial, the easy button? Right, you know, we want the easy road. And Naaman said, I, want, I just wanted this to be easy. You come out, wave your hand, I'm healed, I go home. But God wanted to do something for Naaman, but it was gonna require a, an act of faith on his part. Anything, I'm telling you right now, anything God ever does in your life is going to require an act of faith on your part. I mean, we don't, we don't earn salvation. That's a free gift from God. But the, but the things that God does in us and for us throughout our life is going to require an act of faith on your part. Always has been. That's the nature of the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Faith is the fuel in our life that, that, that God operates on. And so God said, no, it's going to require an act of faith on your part. I'm bleeding. Hand me a, hand me a Kleenex there. I injured myself yesterday and I just broke it open again. Um, sorry, had a boo-boo, had to fix it. Uh, so what was I saying? So, something about Naaman. Act of faith. Everything that God does in our life is going to require an act of faith on our part. And so that's, and it did with Naaman. His act of faith, and it wasn't, it wasn't like God was asking some great test. The act of faith was go down and dip in the Jordan River. Now that may not sound like a big deal, but we're not talking about a, a fresh spring here. Okay, the Jordan River was nasty muddy, and during certain times, especially during times of the harvest, it was, I mean, it overflowed its banks. It was, you know, quite a, quite a raging river, nasty, muddy. In fact, that was one of the things that Naaman said. He said, well, why couldn't I go dip in one of the, one of the other, you know, the rivers of such and such? Go, why couldn't I dip in a cleaner river? God, have you ever found yourself trying to instruct God? 
God, it would be better. It would be easier if we just did this. Why don't we do it this way? And God says, you know, one of my favorite lines in the entire Bible is when Job is talking to God and he's kind of complaining to God about the way God is doing things. And God just simply says to Job, where were you when I created the world? Where were you? I didn't need your advice. When I was creating the universe, where were you at? You didn't exist. I'm more than qualified, God, to say I'm more than qualified to make my own decisions. But Naaman finds himself instructing God, why, not, why can't I do it the easier way? Even if I got a dip, let me go to a, to a cleaner river. There was one way to do things, one thing that was going to bring him through his adversity, and that was God's way. Amen? God has one way. And, and there's just, I wish there was like something I could give you like a loophole. You know, I can stand up here and say, look, here, God, this is God's way. If he says to you, you've got to do it this way. But, it, you know, you can get around God by doing it like this. I wish I could give you a loophole. There's no loophole. There is but one ingredient in the recipe of God's will, and that's just to follow God's will, amen, to get through the adversities of life. So Naaman was mad. He wasn't going to do it. And one of Naaman's servants came to him and said, you know what? If, if he had asked you to do some great and mighty thing, you'd have done it. How, why not just do something just do what God is telling you to do. That's literally what, that's basically what the servant said. Why don't you just do what God is telling you to do? You know, there's been times in my life, and some of you too, you know, I've had people come to me, well, this, God is laying this in my heart. I'm, you know, God wants me to do this. I just, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really, I don't want to do it, blah, 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 and then all these things. And, and all I can do literally is look at you and say, just do what God wants you to do, right? And that's what the servant said, just do what God wants you to do. So Naaman had to humble himself. He goes down into the river, and he dips once, he dips twice, he dips three times. If he would have stopped, well, he dips the seventh time, and then when he dipped the seventh time, the Bible says that his, his skin was like that of a baby, just like Easton's back there. Brand new skin. God did something amazing and unbelievable. God brought him through his adversity because he stepped out in faith. He, he, it wasn't easy. He wanted the easy, but it was going to take a step of faith on his part. And God healed him of all of that. But if he would have, if he'd have dipped four times, no healing. I think if he, I honestly think if he'd have dipped six times, and on this, before that seven, I thought, you know, this is stupid, forget it, and walked out of the river, he'd have lived the rest of his life as a leper. He had to do it exactly God's way, amen? Wasn't the easy way, but it was God's way, and that's what brought him through that adversity. Resistance creates strength, right? That's how we build muscle is through resistance. When you're lifting weights, it's, it's heavy. The football team on, and their practices are out there. You guys, football teams, football players that are here, you ever push the sleds, right? And you've seen the, the big sleds and you, you push those and as you're pushing them, there's, there's resistance. They're heavy. And they're pushing against the, especially if somebody's standing on, they're pushing against it and it's building these muscles because that resistance, I mean, what good would it do them like if there was a motor on it going the way they were going? You know, or if it was like on air and they're pushing it, there's no resistance. It's going to do them absolutely no good. It's the resistance that creates strength. So God could, God could give us an easy path and make life easy so that we never have any struggles. But I'm, I'm telling you, at the end of our life, we would be, we would be full-grown spoiled brats. Amen? We would not understand anything about God and honestly, our faith and our confidence in God would be little to nothing. If we had life easy, our confidence in God would be, we would not glorify him. It's the resistance. It's the 
sometimes the financial difficulties, maybe the, the physical uh, you know, sicknesses, uh, you name it. It's, 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 the, it's the marriage having problems. It's the, the neighbor or the, the coworker that is just you know, really on the, the boss that's on my case. It, just, it, it comes out in so many different ways. If I was to, to, to take the time, and it would take a lot of time, to go around the room, start over here with Daniel, and go around over here to Randy and say, everybody stand up and tell me what your adversity looks like. Everybody's answer is going to look different, right? And so through that adversity, God's teaching, him, teaching you something. Look at it as a tool. Look at it as a value. Is it easier said than done? Yeah. But there's one way, and that's God's way. Adversity can either, I'm going to go somewhere with this. Adversity can either knock us off course, or it can make us determined to get to our destination. Okay? So you have a destination somewhere you want to be, but you get adversity, it, either, it will either knock you off course to the point you'll never get there, or it makes you more determined to get to your destination. Okay, so here all back, I'm, I'm looking up in the sky. It was a windy day, okay? And I happen to look up and I see this bird. It's a little bird. It's probably like a, I don't know if it was a robin, or, but it, I don't know, it's probably about that big. It's a, it's a smaller bird. And it, it's flying against the wind, okay? So I mean, it's pretty windy, and it's, it's not moving, I mean, it's, it's flying and it's staying, right? It's giving it all it's got. I mean, its little wings were just... And, and, but I, I, I swear I could see its face and it was like... I mean, it was, it was determined. It had somewhere, somewhere it was going. I mean, and I, I remember thinking to myself, why didn't the thing just turn around? I mean, all it had to do was turn around and the wind would have just took it to the next county, which is probably why it wouldn't turn around. I don't know, but... I mean, it could have went anywhere it wanted to get. If, if it would have just taken the easy route, it, it would have, you know, could have, but it had somewhere it was going and it knew that it was going to have to go through the adversity to get wherever it was going. It was determined. So easily it could have been knocked off course. And we have a, as a child of God, we have a destination. And obviously that destination is heaven and that's what Peter's talking about at the beginning. We have a destination at the end of our life. We want to be with God for eternity. Is that our destination? Is that your goal? And we, we just know ahead of time that the enemy of our soul, Satan, he's the, he's the author of all the adversity. Do you still believe in Satan? Oh, yes. I mean, we talk all the time about God. We, we forget that he's there sometimes. Why is this happening to me? What's the problem? Because, the, because Satan is at work in our life, just the same as God is. And so we have our destination our sight's set on heaven. We want to we spend eternity with God and we're, we're facing this adversity from the devil in so many different ways. But we have to be like that bird. I mean, we have to set our sights on God and just we have to just plow through it. Yes, it would be easier to turn and just go the way the rest of the world's going. We can look at, we can look at the world and we can see people who are godless. They don't care what, anything about God and they, they don't believe in God and they live just, just you know, uh, horrible, gross sin. I mean, just live however they want to and, and they just, they kill people, they rob from people. They, I mean, all of these bad things and it just seems like life is going good for them. Just carrying them along and sometimes we as Christians can get a little jealous of that. It's like, God, here I'm trying to do everything right and I'm just, I'm having all of these problems and they're just as godless as they can be and they've got life by the tail. You know, there's a lot of people we read about, especially in Psalms and Proverbs, uh, writers of Psalms and Proverbs that had these same types of thought process. They would, they would write about it. You read through the Psalms and they would say things like, God, why are the wicked prospering and I'm busting my head against every brick wall? 
They would come to God with these complaints. And I think it's in Psalm, forgive me, I didn't, uh, didn't know I was going here, but I, I, I think it's in Psalm 73, if I remember correctly. Uh, the, 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 the writer of Psalms basically says, he said, my feet almost slipped when I got to look in at the prospering of the wicked and the struggle that I have. And he questioned God, God, why would you allow this to happen? Why do wicked people have it easy and I've got it so hard? But when you read on down through there, it says, but then I thought about the end, okay? Then I realized when I thought about the end result that those who were just going the way the rest of the world goes and had life by the tail and life was good, at the end of life, that's all they had. Their trouble started. And that moment, they spend eternity without God. I mean, we, we forget sometimes how long eternity is gonna be. Eternity is a concept that you and I as human beings cannot hardly even imagine. Everything that we know has a beginning, has an end. So the thought of eternity never, ever, 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 ever ending And so I will spend eternity forever, ever, 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 no ending either with God or I will spend it in hell, away from God. What a a thought. And this this psalmist, he goes, but then I was thinking, man, why, why, why? But then it all dawned on me, I'm thinking about the end result. The godless have nothing to hope. They have nothing beyond the grave. They spend eternity without God in order just to get a little bit of an easy life. But for those who endure adversity, for those who trust God through the trial, that stay faithful, that set their eyes on, on heaven and, and set their eyes on Jesus and never turn to the right or to the left, the, our end result is great. Our end result is great. Because we will know an eternity in which we have a body that never perishes, a body that never hurts, never a time where we have to lay a loved one to rest again. And I can stand up here and talk about all of the things. The Bible gives us but what just little bitty glimpse of what heaven will be like. But the little bitty glimpse that the Bible gives us is worth striving for. Amen? Sure, we don't know how it's all going to be, but I know it's going to be greater than what we got now. But if I'm just out to make it easy for Dennis, I just might not... I might get blown off course. Adversity is either gonna make us more determined to get where we're going or it's gonna knock us off course. Which, which one are you? I mean, it's, it's one way or the other. I hope and pray that this morning you'll be resolved in your heart to say, I'm gonna continue to trust God even though it hurts, even though it's hard, even though it's difficult. I'm gonna trust God to bring me through it. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna end with this. I want you to turn into Nehemiah, the fourth chapter. It's back in the Old Testament. Nehemiah chapter four, I forgot my water. I love this, uh, I love this whole, the whole thing that happened here in this, I, I love it, it's so inspiring. I'm not gonna read a lot, I'm gonna tell you, kind of tell you the, the story for the most part, but uh, uh, if you wanna go into chapter four, I'm gonna read a couple verses from there. So here's, here's basically what goes down. Nehemiah, uh, he was a Jewish man and he worked for the king of Persia. He was the cupbearer. He actually had a pretty good job. I mean, he, he kind of had life pretty easy. And one day he gets a, a visit from some of his fellow Jews that had come from Jerusalem. Well, let me back up just a little bit. First of all, there was a time in Jewish history where the Jews had completely gotten away from God and God lifted his 
hedge of protection and the Babylonians come in and just conquered Israel. And when the Babylonians came in and conquered Israel, they took the Jews that lived in, in Israel, specifically around Jerusalem, and they just sent them all out to different parts of the world. They just scattered the whole nation. Some people they'd send here, some people they'd send there. And the Babylonians, they destroyed the temple, they destroyed the wall. Jerusalem had a wall that went all the way around it for, for protection of the city, and they destroyed the wall. And then later on, the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians. So there's been some time that has elapsed since this wall was knocked down. And so now this king of Persia uh, is in charge, and Nehemiah, who is one of those Jews who was, you know, taken to a different part of the world, is working for him. And then when Jeremiah gets these visitors, his buddies come, he says, hey, what's up? They come from Jerusalem. Hey, what's up? What's been going on? Oh, not much. He's expecting the normal talk. Well, how's everything at Jerusalem? He's expecting them to say, well, everything's pretty good. They say, it's horrible. The wall is just in, in shambles. The wall is, they burned the wall with fire and the temple is destroyed and they painted this picture. And the Bible says that, that Nehemiah, he just, he just got down on the floor and just bawled. The thought of his people being treated this way and the thought of his hometown and his homeland being just decimated by a godless enemy it was more than he could take. He just cried and he cried and he began to cry out to God, God, please raise this nation up again. And he began to remind God of God's promises. Do you know it's okay to do that? God gives promises to his people and he wants us to remind him, not because he forgot, because he wants to know that we didn't forget. Nehemiah says to God, God, do you remember? For years you always said that if we turned against you, you would scatter us and you did. But you also said that when we turn our heart back to you, you'd bring us back together again. And God, would you please bring us back to Jerusalem to rebuild this wall? And so one day, Nehemiah is at work and he's standing there by the king. He brings the king his cup. And, and by what we read in scripture, apparently Nehemiah was a pretty easy going, laugh, you know, like cut up. He was just a he always had a, a good countenance on him. He was a happy guy. And the king knew that. Well, this, this particular day, Nehemiah is really, he's bothered by the adversity. He's bothered by the problems. And, and so the king looks at him and says, Nehemiah, something got your goat? It doesn't say that. I paraphrase that. But he said, what, what's up, Nehemiah? Something, something wrong? You're not, normally this, you're not normally this gloomy. And Nehemiah said, well, how can I, how can I be gloomy? I just found out that my hometown, homeland is, is destroyed by enemies. And he goes to the king, he said, and the king says, what are, you, what are you really asking? He said, I want to go fix it. I want to go back, and I want to rebuild the wall. And so the king said, okay, you got it. So the king gave him permission. He gave him uh, letters that, that he could get uh, the lumber he needed in the land. Nehemiah goes back, and he rallies the Jews to begin to build the wall. Okay, so that brings us here into chapter 4. I want you to go to chapter 4. It did not come easy. It was a great task to rebuild this wall, but as in every, in every child of God's life, when God would do something, when God would build something in our life, the enemy is there to try to destroy it. Now chapter four, verse one says, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. This is their, this is their enemy. This is the, the people that are not Jews that were living around that area. They'd just taken over Jerusalem as if it was their own. And he heard that the Jews were coming back and he was angry and he said in the, in the presence of his brothers of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn, and burn ones at that? And then Tobiah, his buddy, was beside him and said, yes, what they are building if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So what we find basically these two guys, Sanballat and Tobiah, 
that wanted to do everything they could to stop the Jews from rebuilding the wall. What did the wall mean? It meant protection for God's people. You and I, in our walk with God, we are, in a sense, we're building a spiritual wall around us and our family, that wall of faith. When we get inside the wall of faith, we are protected by God. God, God uh, moves in mighty ways in our life. But the enemy's desire is to tear down that wall of faith, to leave us wide open. And so here God's doing something. The enemies decide, they're, they're making fun of them. Oh, yeah, these, these Jews, yeah, they're really going to do a great thing. They'll build this wall, and if a, if a fox bumps into it, it's just going to fall down. And so they've got these voices in their head. Remember we were singing that song, I keep fighting voices in my head, Right? It doesn't mean they were schizophrenic necessarily. It just means that the, all these, these lies of the enemy, they was trying to tell them everything you're doing is impossible and they did everything they could to stop it. And this is what I want you to read. Let me see if I can find this verse here. Um, um, chapter... Okay, here it is. Chapter four, if you go on down just a little bit further. After, after the Jews are getting all of this backlash from their enemy, in verse 10, it says, in Judah it was said, this, was the, this is what the God's people were saying. This was where their heart was at. The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemy said, they will, not, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. The people were starting to get discouraged. The people had a job to do to rebuild the wall, but with all of the opposition and the, and the threats, the, the enemy was basically saying, hey, we're gonna sneak up, we're gonna kill all of you for doing this. We're gonna put a stop to this and we'll kill you all. And, the, and it started to get to them. How many of you can ever say in your life, even though you know what God said, the lies of the enemy just start to, to get to you. And so it starts to get to them and they, the people became very discouraged. But, but Nehemiah sweeps in, he says, listen, don't listen to the lies. Yes, we are facing some adversity here, and yes, it is becoming difficult, but don't bail out and take the easy road. Yes, we could join up with the enemy so that we don't have to face anything bad, but what's going to happen in the end? We still end up as prisoners. God's got something better for his people. Just keep moving forward, just like the bird. Get determined. And the Bible says that the there was like a, a renewing in the spirits and in the hearts and in the minds of the people. And they, they got back to work, and I love this. The Bible says that they had a tool in one hand and a sword in the other hand. They were determined to keep the work going, but they knew that they had an enemy to fight. They're working, they're fighting. They're working, they're fighting. They, and you go on through the Bible, says they didn't sleep, they didn't... They didn't sleep much. They didn't even change their clothes. They, they stayed alert. They kept working. They stunk at the end of those two months, but they got the work done. Amen? In the end, they got that wall built, despite all of the, the problems and the difficulties and the lies that the enemy was coming against them. Nehemiah's up there on the wall, and he's working in Sanballat and Tobiah, the, the bad guys. They come to Nehemiah, and they say, why don't you come down and talk to us just for a little while? They're wanting to talk him out of this work. Come down and talk to us. And I love Nehemiah's response. He said, who are you that I would come down off this wall, stop my work, just to talk to you? <laughs> I got a job to do. I'm not going to come down there and listen to your lies and give you, give you room in my brain. 
You know, the Bible, there's a scripture in the Bible in the New Testament that says, give not place to the devil. Don't give the devil any room. You've heard the saying, if you give the devil an inch, he'll make a ruler, right? Don't give the devil any room. He said, who are you that I would stop what I'm doing to come down and listen to you? Sometimes you have to take that attitude with people. People that would discourage you from doing what God would want you to do. Maybe you're starting a life, maybe you've just recently been saved, or maybe you're thinking about yourself, you're, you're, you're really dedicating your life, you're becoming a, a true devoted Christian, and maybe people in your family, friends, you're trying to discourage you from that, that happens. Don't listen to them, don't listen to the, to the lies. I've faced it as a pastor, always somebody trying to pawn their junk on you, or their unbelief or their religious ways. Who are you? that I would stop the work that God gave me to do to come and listen to your lies. <laughs> Nehemiah just kept marching, just kept working. And he ended, up went, he ended up finishing the work that God had given him to do. Man, folks, I know a lot of times when we think of working for God, we have a work to do for God, we think of preaching and teaching and all those types of things. But I'm just talking about your life right now as a Christian. Your, your resolve to continue to faithfully trust God every day of your life. Just know right now, full disclosure, there's going to be rough times. Jesus, Jesus did not paint a pretty picture when he called his disciples. You know, today in, in our society, in churches today, especially in, in America, we like to tell everybody, oh, come to Jesus and your problems will go away and, and all of this. Jesus didn't, didn't say that to people. Jesus was upfront and honest with the disciples. He said, if you follow me, they might kill you. They're gonna hate you because they hated me. There are going to be obstacles and adversity ahead. We know that. But it's totally worth it in the end, right? It's totally worth it. It's like, I look at it like this. Uh, I, like, I look at it like this. Uh, this just popped in my brain, so I don't know if this is gonna come out the way I see it. But it, it's like if somebody... If somebody handed you a, a pure gold brick wrapped in poison ivy, would you take it? A pure gold brick, big one, worth just thousands of dollars, whatever, but it's wrapped in poison ivy and they hand it to you, would you take it? Yes. Yes, we'll take it. Yes, I am going to swell up like a balloon. I can look at poison ivy and break out. I'm going to take that and I'm going to break out all over. Totally worth it. Totally worth it. I'll itch. I'll scratch for a while. It'll be miserable for a little bit. I got poison ivy all over my body one time when I was a kid. The only thing that helped, my mom put oatmeal all over my body. Miserable. But I would gladly be miserable for a while, itching and scratching and digging to get the gold. Right? Because this poison ivy is just temporary. And so God ultimately, in a sense, that's what he's offering us. He's offering us gold wrapped in poison ivy. He's, he's offering us heaven. He's offering us eternity with him for just a little bit, a temporary life with a little bit of uncomfortableness and pain and itchiness. Totally worth it. Totally worth it. That's what Paul said. Paul went through a lot and he said, he said all the sufferings of, of this life aren't worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. What was he saying? Poison ivy is totally worth it to get the gold. Amen? 
Adversity is totally worth it to get to heaven. God's faithful. God's at our back. God's at our back. He's like, he's the, he's the, the fullback and the tailback. You know, you watch, watch football and you just got a little bit to go. Get across the goal line and maybe the quarterback, somebody takes the ball and he starts to go and he gets his whole team behind him to shove, right? And God said, I'm, I'm getting you there. I'm gonna get you across the, the goal line. I'm, I'm, I'm at your back. I'm giving you the push. You're gonna face adversity because there's an enemy that don't want you to get there. But just know I'm gonna shove you across the line if you keep trusting me, man. Hallelujah. Now with me this morning. Today, Father, we... We come before you this morning recognizing that you have complete and utter control of everything. I don't have any way of knowing what tomorrow is going to bring me. I don't have any way of knowing what the next five minutes are going to bring me. And I realize this morning that though things are good, maybe right now, it all could change in just a moment's time. We might be facing the greatest adversity of our life. We read your word and we believe it. We believe that your people, the sun shines on them, the rain shines on them, just like it does everybody else. But we believe today, God, that you are faithful. There is a destination that you're trying to get us to. Please, God, help us not to take the easy way. Please, God, help us not to listen to the lies of the enemy that would try to convince us that there's an easier route 